Have you ever been asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Gwen gets to work. I like talking to people and they like talking back to me. Well, that's what I think. One day I asked my mum, what, how do I know what I want to be when I grow up? My mum said, if I interview people about like their jobs and things like that, well, I will find out and like the people, all the people who who are listening, um, you will find out too if you don't know. Let's get to work. In this week's episode, we have a few guests, or rather, some extra interviewers who are my classmates. We are going to interview an oceanographer, because oceans was the topic we were doing in school. So oceanographers have special suits to go underwater, and they take pictures to study when they are on land. We are excited to welcome Dr. Anthony to the podcast. Under the sea, darling, it's better than when it's weather. Take it from me. Morning. Good morning. How are you? Very well. We have got lots of questions to ask you, so let's okay. get to work. When you were a child, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor. Hmm. What was your favourite subject when you were at school? Um, biology and chemistry. Well, with science at your age. Hmm. Cool. Science, yeah. yeah. What made you become an oceanographer? Well, my father had a shipping company, operated a shipping company. And when I was a kid, a little older than you, I was put on ships every summer. So I learned to appreciate the sea. I also sailed sailboats, so I loved the sea. But one of the biggest things was there was a man called Jacques Cousteau, who was a French oceanographer, and he still has some of his grandsons involved in, in uh, science and discovery of the oceans. But he was very famous, he made films. And I think at that stage, everybody that was my age at that time wanted to be an oceanographer because of Jacques. Mm. My mommy told me about him. Oh, good. Yeah, he was a, he actually helped discover the aqualung, you know, scuba? Underwater, mm-hmm. yes. So he and a man called Jacques Picard, P I C C A R D, discovered the aqualung, and that way they could um, go down, be free dive, and see the ocean. So you can breathe. Yeah. So he opened the oceans up, really for everybody. Mm-hmm. Before you go down with a hat and a tube of air. Yeah. Right? and just plump around, but now you could free swim. Did you grow up in Texas? I grew up in England. Mm. Wow. And then we emigrated, we moved to the United States 
when I was seven? My age. Your age. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think I was as smart as you, I'm sure. <laughs> My friend Aoife has a good question. Okay. What things did you study to, to become an oceanographer? So, as I said, it's in, in, uh, at your age, just general science. And then in high school, biology and chemistry and physics. And then at university, biology, chemistry and physics. And then the master's and PhD level oceanography. So you, know, you specialize in these things. It would be slightly different now. Mm. Yeah. Now you need a lot more math. Are they all science? All science, but we had things like English, because you have to write. You know, yeah. And French, which I was no good at. But, <laughs> um, you know, you have a broad, as you know, when you go to you get a little older, you have a broader education. And then what happens is you end up focusing on one or two subjects. Hmm. So isn't oceanographer different to a marine biologist? Well, it's different and it's the same. So you can have a marine biologist, a marine chemist, a marine physicist, or you can have a biological oceanographer, a chemical oceanographer, a physical oceanographer. So they're just different names for the same thing. But generally, marine biology deals with coastal environments, okay? There's, there is a bit of biological oceanography, but they're all different. So if you're a chemist, you would be a chemical oceanographer or a marine chemist. And so it's just, they're roughly the same. You do the same things. So there's not much difference between them. You're either a biologist, a chemist, or a physicist, or a geologist. Does biological mean the living things? Yes, it means living things. But there's also a... Um, something that's gaining a lot of ground these days, a very important subject is molecular biology. So you look at um, DNA and other things to, to look for things like fish, because each fish has its own uh, DNA pattern. And you can look for fish these days by looking at their DNA. So by the time you get to university, you would probably be studying a lot of molecular biology instead of just, this is a fish. <laughs> Can you tell me what you do on a normal day at work? Well, my day is a little different than others or a little different than what my day was when I was a newly minted oceanographer. When I, when I first started, I would go to sea about every week for two or three days out on a ship and make measurements and, uh, and then come back and work in the laboratory to measure, to measure the things that we found in the ocean. Now, I tend to go into work and write 
grounds to support. I have about 30 people that work for me. So I have to write grants to support the work that they do. And we're doing some very interesting projects. I mean, one of them is a new project called SETI, C-E-T-I. And it's to build some buoy systems, some floating buoys that we build and put sound systems on it. And the aim is to listen to sperm whales. And after five years, the hope is to be able to translate what the sperm whales are saying and hopefully be able to speak to them. So this is a very ambitious project we're doing with, this is the first time this has ever been done. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. What you are hearing is the sound that sperm whales make. Sperm whales produce clicks to detect prey and to communicate with each other. Different sequences of clicks are shared amongst members of the same family and differ from those from other distinct group of sperm whales. These sequences are known as coders by scientists and they are the equivalent to human dialects or accents. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. So that's a fun project. It's going to be done in the Caribbean. That's amazing. Yeah, my friend's got $36 million to study this. Oh, and it's the first, wow. first species to species communication project that's ever been attempted. Are buoys around floats? Yeah, buoys are like very big floats. Yeah. Where in the Caribbean? Where? Dominica. There's an island of Dominica between Guadeloupe and Martinique, two French islands, where sperm whales hang out. My stepdad lives in Trinidad at the moment. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. We're, we're renting a ship from Trinidad because we need a really big ship because these buoys are very, very big. You call them boys in England. Hmm, I saw. Do you ever feel scared underwater? I don't go underwater much. Mm. I, uh, I had a, when I was about 24, I had a collapsed lung. And so if I go underwater with scuba gear now, I might die. So I guess I would be scared. That's not good. It's not good. But these days, you can have all sorts of remote robots that you can see things underwater without actually having to mm. go underwater. So that's not good. Is the bottom of the sea usually sandy? Depends where you are. If you're near coral reefs, it's sandy. If you're near the coastal ocean, it's muddy. If you're near some beaches in England, it's sandy and sometimes stony, unless you get to low tide. But generally, 
the ocean is more muddy than anything else. Yes, well, it does say it can get a tiny bit muddy here sometimes. A tiny bit muddy? I've never seen so much mud in all my life. It's brilliant. And uh, the deep ocean, because ah. material, dying plants and things get eaten by bacteria and they just go to the bottom of the ocean. So they're not, it's not sandy. Not surprising. But around, around coral reefs, it's very sandy. Mm. And beaches in England are very sandy. Someone here has been begging to ask you something. Go on, Treacle. Hi, Dr. Knapp. My name is Treacle, Gwen's personal assistant robot. Do you have any personal assistance robots? And what are their names? I have no robots. Oh no. You're lucky to have a robot. <laughs> well, I saw some photos of ro the robots. Yeah, but they're not personal assistants. Oh. They're just robots that go in the ocean and measure things. Measure things? Like what? Well, one of the things we're very interested in, in around the United States, is hurricanes. Hmm. And hurricanes get stronger when the upper ocean is warm. The surface and the going down maybe a hundred meters. If that surface is warm, the hurricanes can get much more powerful. So we use gliders, those things that are long, look like torpedoes, and we leave them out for about four months to determine how strong a hurricane will get. So that's what we use those for. My friends, Toby and Lara, have questions about climate change. Okay. How much does the water rise in a year? A speed is climate change affecting the ocean. So the global sea level rises by 3.1 millimetres per year. Mm. And that is, that is, doesn't sound like much, but it happens every year. And that's mainly because of the warming of the ocean, uh, the, the water expands. And that's the main use, uh, reason for it. There is a little bit of melt from, uh, from ice caps, but that's a very small mm. contribution. But, and this is mainly the surface ocean. So the average ocean depth is 4,200 meters. We believe that the deeper ocean is also warming. And so this 3.1 millimeters per year will go up. The other thing that happens with sea level rise is that land around the coasts and many places around the world is subsiding, it's dropping because people are taking groundwater out. And so between sinking of the land and the increasing uh, amount of, of water, the uh, relative sea level rise is much higher in some places than 3.1 millimeters. And as far as what are the effects on the ocean, well, the ocean is warming. 
which is changing the biology, is taking up CO2, carbon dioxide, and that carbon dioxide is acidic, so it's causing ocean acidification, which is changing the biology of the oceans. I hope that wasn't too long an answer. No. Do you know why the ocean is salty? The ocean is salty because erosion of minerals from the land. It's happened over many, 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 many years. So the ocean is, uh, the average salinity of the ocean is 35 parts per thousand. So there's 35 parts to 1,000 parts of water, and that makes the ocean salty. In places like the Dead Sea in Israel, it's up to, say, 40 parts per thousand, and you can't sink. You just bob like a cork, but it feels horrible. That sounds fun. Yeah. My friend Bella has a tricky question. Which is the deepest ocean? So the deepest part of the ocean is in the Pacific Ocean, and that's uh, the Challenger Deep in the Marianas Trench. And that is 11,000 meters deep. Yeah. Wow, what a hole. So wow. if, you take it, if you take it like, if you think of Mount Everest, mm -hmm. if you put Mount Everest in the Marianas Trench, it would still be two kilometers away from the surface. So it's a very deep spot. Wow. So, the sea is deeper than the Earth is high at its highest point. Yes. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's a pretty interesting point, isn't it? Lots of my classmates have questions about animals that live in the ocean. Let's start with Charlotte. How many creatures live in the ocean? Nobody knows. There was a thing called Census of, the, of Marine Life years ago, and they found a lot of species. But the problem is that there are lots of species of bacteria and viruses and things like that. So no one actually knows how many species there are. They know how many have been found, and I can't remember that number. And it's quite a lot. But it's nothing like the, all the viruses, and, which are all, and, and bacteria, which are all very important for how the ocean works. How many species are there in this? Slightly question, but it's still unknown. And Sophia had a good question. What's the biggest fish in the ocean? The biggest fish in the ocean is a whale shark. And you oh think... Oh my gosh! People, people think that... Um, a whale shark. A whale shark. They're huge. But that's a fish, okay? Obviously, whales are a lot bigger, but they're mammals. They're like us. So, you know, the biggest uh, mammal in the world is a, a blue whale, I believe.
okay? And that's the biggest thing that swims around in the ocean. Then there are sperm whales, humpback whales, lots of other species of whales. But the biggest fish is the whale shark. And Bella has a one about a bigger creature too. Which oceans have octopuses in? Well, I'm not much of a marine biologist, but I know where I've found the most octopuses myself, and that's been in the Mediterranean Sea. Hmm. And there are lots of octopuses in the Mediterranean Sea. But you'll find octopuses, you know, around various places, but they're not nearly as um, prevalent as they are in the Med. And I don't know why that is. You said earlier about coral. Have you seen lots of pretty coral? Uh, yes, probably the prettiest coral in the world. I lived in Bermuda for 30 years. And Bermuda has beautiful coral reefs. And we used to go mainly snorkeling all the time, every weekend, to see these beautiful corals. And uh, they're spectacular. I've been to many other places like Panama and other places that have coral, but they're not nearly as spectacular as the Bermuda coral. Cara wanted to know What's been your favourite adventure under the sea? And what's been your favourite fish you've seen so far? The most amazing thing I've seen is a giant manta ray. And we were out off Bermuda in about 4,000 metres of water. And the shadow came under the ship. And we thought at first maybe it was a big shark, a hammerhead. And then we looked more at it, and it was a, it was a. Um, giant manta ray. It was huge. And we all got in the water and swam with it. For about an hour until it, it um, got bored and went away. One of my friends actually has a picture of when he was riding a whale shark near the same place. Mm -hmm. So he sat on the back of a whale shark with a scuba tank on his on his back and sat there and just rode it and waved. I want to be a cowboy, baby. I want to be a cowboy. Yeah. I want to be a cowboy, baby. <laughs> I love to see that. I'll see if I can find it and send it Thank to you. Thank you. We have a couple of nice questions now. Bella has the first. What's your favourite ocean? I guess my favourite ocean 
is the Atlantic Ocean. Because the Atlantic Ocean does a lot of things that are important. That it, hmm. it transports heat to the, if it wasn't for the Atlantic Ocean, England would be much colder than it is. And it transports heat through the Gulf Stream. And that's why Ireland has palm trees. England is about four or five degrees centigrade warmer than it should be, even though it seems cold from time to time. But England's on the same latitude as Toronto, Canada, and so it should be much colder than it is, but the Gulf Stream brings heat. And so I think that's sort of, sort of fairly cool. There's, this, there's another current in Japan called the Kuroshio, the Kuroshio current, that does the same thing. So they're called Western Boundary Currents. But I think that's why it's important because, so the Atlantic is very important for transporting heat. So studying the ocean allows us to determine how good or bad uh, climate change could be by the ocean. That sounds complicated. It is complicated, but it's fun. And I have one last question too, but I think you already answered it. Do you have any oceanography heroes other than Cousteau? Yes, there's a man called Bob Ballard. And I'm applying for a permit to Noah's office to clean and paint the Titanic. Now, people think I'm crazy Children ask, what color? <laughs> and we've actually had, I've had a long discussion. I've probably talked to several hundred children about what color we should paint the Titanic. And they think that painting it the original black would not be appropriate. Bob Ballard started a lot of education programs for children Ooh. and where he, where he did a uh, Thing called telepresence, where instead of just one person being able to see something from a submarine, he took uh, real-time measurement, real-time films and video, and shared them with school children all over the world. And I was involved with that project. It was called the Jason Project, and we educated a lot of kids during that time. And I think his is. Um, ability to put that program together and keep it funded makes him a, a sort of a real-time Jacques Cousteau type hero. Another hero could be David Attenborough yeah. because he's done a lot in in England with all of those programs to bring the ocean and the environment. Um, he was the first one I started watching when I started watching their cover blown. Escape seems impossible. But these particular fish have a unique ability. Fish. 
I love watching Blue Planet and made, and it made me want to be an adventurer. So it was amazing talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Now my classmates and I have a pretty good idea of what an oceanographer is. That was really fun, don't you think, Trico? Well, yes, thank you, Dr. Knapp. You're very welcome. <laughs> okay. Bye, we love talking to you. Well, bye-bye, it was great talking to you too. I hope you become a future oceanographer. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. This was the last interview for a few weeks, as I am going to take a little summer break. But we will still have some summer treats for you, so join in! Thank you for listening to my podcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the next episodes that we do later in the year. Thank you.